0: strange brew podcast season one episode 51 i was wrong on last friday's podcast sports are fun they are fun the brewers win the series against the cubs at wrigley the bucks beat the sixers in primetime on sunday night the magic number is down another notch for the number one seed in the east and in the nba we got a game winner at the final four national title game is tonight yeah sports they're good they're a good thing let's go on the ground, a chance here, Durham, to Hardy, to first, it's Yes! The Brewers yes! win! Yes! Here comes Melvin to the 25, to the 20, Gordon 15, 10, 5, touchdown, Wisconsin, record-breaking run! Morgan, a smash up the middle, face it center, here comes Gomez, around third, a throw on the Brewers win! Here's the snap, he looks! It. And there is your Super Bowl dagger! Booker the drive, gets inside, leans in, backed away and stolen by Holiday! Phoenix has to foul, and a pentacle ball throws it down! Swinging! We've got a room at the top of the world tonight. The Milwaukee Bucks are NBA champions. In addition to all the other stuff going on, it was also, where's my Vince McMahon hotkey, WrestleMania weekend. WrestleMania! Yeah! WrestleMania weekend, which is now a full weekend. I learned that last year. One of my best buddies from college, Nick, his daughter Emily, is very into wrestling. And we were reminiscing over the weekend about when we were kids. I probably haven't watched wrestling regularly since 2002 or 3. Right at the end of the Attitude Era. I probably started again. When I was a kid, I watched all the Hogan Macho Man stuff, the mid to late 80s and the early 90s. Then I took about a three or four year break. And then from 1998 when Stone Cold and DX and the Attitude Era and all that was going on, The Undertaker and Kane, The Corporation and Shane O'Mac. It was appointment viewing every Monday night. You may as well have not gone to North High on Tuesday morning if you didn't watch what happened on Raw on Monday night. Maybe that was just my circle of friends. But it was so entertaining. And then when I went to college in 02, maybe a year I watched it there, and then I kind of petered out. And I've never really fully gotten back in, even though I've checked in here and there. But we were remembering when mania was just one night. One night, Sunday night, it was three hours, 7 till 10 p.m. You had your buddies over, everybody chipped in $5, or did they really? I remember those negotiation processes with my dad on Friday. I'd start those negotiations on Friday. Oh yeah, just uh you know WrestleMania, just checking to see if we've got the access in the cable box here. is coming up this weekend. Oh yeah. Got some friends coming over. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're all going to chip in. Everyone's going to chip in $5, but I'm going to need your money. I'm going to need your credit card to pay for it now, and then we'll get you the we'll get you the money. Don't worry. We're good for. it. We'll get you the money probably on Monday. Uh, I don't know. Maybe it was a couple people forget their money. It's fine. We'll get you. We're going to get you the money, and we never got on the money ever. But it was always just Sunday night. Biggest card of the year. We'd get together and you'd watch and get a bunch of Pringles and sour cream and onion chips and a bunch of soda and Totino's Pizza Rolls and Sunny D and the whole deal. And it was a lot of fun. Now it's two full weekends. I sort of remember – or two full days on the weekend. I sort of remember when they added an hour – And that was fine enough, 6 till 10, all of a sudden it was, and then I think they added another hour, 5 till 10 on Sunday night. And then one of the years, it went way over, it went 6 plus hours, so they decided, okay, we should probably split this up and make it two nights. It's too much. For this point in my life, at my age, it's too much to be invested in, and there's too many shows. You gotta watch Raw, you gotta watch SmackDown, you gotta watch NXT, it's just a lot of things going on. But the storytelling is pretty good, but just the two full weekends, I don't know if I could do. One night, I'm good with, but two full weekends, I'm not so sure. But I remember those days fondly, and I remember, too, when you would get a pay-per-view in 1998 or 1999, and who the hell knew if you were even going to get it? You would order it, and then it was a coin flip. I'd say 50-50. I'd say it was 50-50 when you got to the time when the pay-per-view was supposed to start. If you actually had access to the pay-per-view you thought you were going to have access to, I would guess 50% of the time we would end up on the phone with some employee on charter communications for in a foreign country that didn't care at all about what we were going through. I was angry. I got my buddies over. It's a big night. Can we make this happen somehow? And then, of course, it would never happen. If it didn't happen right away, it was not going to happen. Kids today don't know. If you are a wrestling fan and you have Peacock app now and you just click on WrestleMania and it's right there for you, or if you have cable and you order it and boom, you enter in your code and it's right there for you, that's not how it was back in the day. It got better by 2000, 2001 where you just enter your code on the charter cable box and more often than not, you were fine. But for a while there, in 97, 98, 99, it was a real crapshoot whether or not you'd actually have the pay-per-view that you thought you were buying. I don't even know how they happened back in the 80s and 90s before cable boxes. How did that even happen? I remember watching those, and they'd promote pay-per-views and give you a 1-800 number, but then what did you need? (laughs) Did you need a black box, an authorized, notarized letter from the president? It just felt like, how did that even happen? My dad, one of the guys he worked or worked for him... Ended up being a big wrestling fan. And when I was a kid, that's how I saw all of the pay-per-views. He would tape them. I don't know how he got access to these pay-per-views, but he would tape them, then give the tape to my dad on Monday, and then after school on Monday, I'd watch WrestleMania 5 or WrestleMania 6. But the thought of ordering a pay-per-view in 1987 when these were first starting, I don't even know how that happened. <laughs> how did it even, they beam it into your house? I have no idea. But it was WrestleMania weekend as well. Okay, let's hop into the Brewers. Everything is okay. I do have to concede after Thursday, bad outing on Thursday, offense didn't score a run, Corbin Burns very uneven, but whatever, it's one game. And remember on Friday, I was I was preaching patience, even though we did discuss with the contract situations for guys like Burns and Adamas and Woodruff, there's just a bit more emphasis on this year's first half than in a traditional year. We did talk about that. But it was one game, no big deal. It took me five innings on Saturday before I almost had a panic meltdown. I texted my buddy Nick and said, are we ever going to score a run? I had this take. It's over. We are screwed. It's over. (laughs) 16 innings or whatever it is, 15 innings into the year. We're done. We're never going to score a run. And they were down one nothing. and when the Cubs hit that home run on Saturday, it felt like game over. That felt insurmountable. Again, a feeling we had a lot in the second half of 2022 when they would get down, or your pitcher would make one mistake. Oh, Woodruff made one mistake. <laughs> he gave up a solo shot, and that's going to do it. But they do rally and get a 3-1 to win. Devin Williams, entertaining, kind of has some K-rod to him. Entertaining, gets guys on base, but somehow gets out of it. He gets the save, and then on Sunday, what a pleasure, Nine runs. The Brewers scored nine runs and did not hit a home run. That is a chef's kiss. You love to see it. They haven't hit a home run yet, and it's hard to hit a home run, obviously, at Wrigley. Not for Patrick Wisdom, maybe. He had a couple over the weekend. But it's difficult in those conditions if the wind is blowing in off the lake and it's 45 degrees, it's tough to hit a home run there. But you love – it's so encouraging to see that many runs scored, nine runs scored with small ball, moving guys all over the bases, dropping in some blue pits, just making contact and getting guys moved over. That's what a lot of Brewers fans have been praying for the past couple of years when the offense has been so reliant on the home run and it was all or nothing. Just play a little bit of small ball. Well, they did on Sunday. Almost coughed it up. Who is the reliever? Javi Guerra. He came in with a 9-3 lead. Always ominous when you come in with a six-run lead and walk the first two batters. You could kind of feel something brewing. Then the Cubs almost hit that grand slam right up against the wall that Joey Weimer caught. That circumvented probably what could have been a crooked number inning, and the Brewers end up giving up a couple of runs in that inning, but that was it in a 9-5 win. i would say one thing I do like in the first weekend, and it's just the first weekend. First of all, you get the series win against a division rival at their place. Anytime you can do that, that's a notch in your belt at the beginning of the year. And to do it against the Cubs, a team they struggled with last year. They really did. One of the main reasons the Brewers did not make the playoffs last year or finished a game out was because they could not get it done against the lower teams in the NL Central. I'd have to go back and add it all up. I'm pretty sure – now, it's different now. They're going to play their division rivals less with the way the scheduling has been changed – but they were playing division rivals 18 times. I want to say they went 7-11 and 11 or 8-10 and 10 against the Cubs last year, and the Cubs were not a good team. If they just would have reversed that and gone 10-8 and 8 or 11-7, and 7, that would have been enough to get into the playoffs. But a team they struggled with last year to go in there and get a series win the opening weekend of the year, you love that. Also, the kids. Bryce Terang, what a weekend he had. Getting on base, had his first hit, had his first RBI. These young kids, Terang, and we knew Mitchell was fast. We saw him at the end of last year. Not in a major sample size, but we knew when you saw him run the bases and think, wow, that guy's lightning. Well, so is Bryce Terang, and so is Joey Weimer. They are the fastest people I think I've ever seen in a Brewer jersey, or at the very least in a long, long time, with that type of elite speed. Yelly's still one of the best base runners in baseball. I don't know how fast he is compared to Terang or Weimer or Mitchell. If you line them up for a 40-yard dash, I'm pretty sure Yelich would get beat by any three of those guys. But Yelich is still quick. He's just so good at cutting bases. He's a gazelle on the base paths. He had a two-hit game and a double yesterday. But they are a joy to watch. And I think what's really helpful or hopefully will be helpful early this year, again, we're only one season in or one series in, but we talked on the podcast maybe a week or two ago about being concerned about maybe a bit of a hangover from the way last year ended where you had first place and then the trade of Hader, the locker room really started to have some animosity for the front office. Then they were losing on the field and the guys they got for Hader didn't work out and were blowing saves. It was a mess. And you worry about a hangover situation in the early part of this year. And as we talked about, the first half is bigger this year than in most years because you have decisions to make with premier players on your team. And if you get off to a bad start, you might be looking at dealing those guys by the deadline. That makes the hangover situation even worse. What you love about this youth infusion, and at some point, I think we'll see Sal Frelick as well. He was awesome in spring, just became a numbers game to send him back down to AAA before the year began. And Weimer was a numbers game too. He was down at AAA, had to come up with the Luis Urias injury. That wasn't great news. He's out for two months with a hamstring injury. But that does make room for a guy like Weimer. You've got these young, fast, talented guys And they've been coming up together and winning together at the minor league level, and they don't remember any of that. Maybe Garrett Mitchell a little bit from the end of last year, but he wasn't with the team the entire year. He was in it in spots at the end and called up, I believe, in August at some point or mid-August. He wasn't fully in the way that season unraveled last year. You love having these talented young guys who have no idea what happened last year, and they bring energy into the locker room, exuberance into the locker room. Woody talked about that at the end of the win on Saturday, how fun it is to see these guys get their first hit, have their first Major League Baseball game, get their first RBI. Their their family, Joey Weemer had about 80 people in the stands at Wrigley on Saturday for his first ever Major League Baseball game. That gives a sense of renewal, even to the guys that went through the way last year ended. I think this will help them with any potential hangover at the beginning of the year. These young guys, they're like the Blue Gatorade. These guys are the Blue Gatorade and the Advil to the hangover that was the end of 2022. I truly believe, even if they're not hitting 300 and stealing 20 bags or knocking in 75 or 80 runs, just being on the field and bringing that young energy That is going to be helpful for the veterans on this team that saw a playoff situation, a potential division championship, fall apart on them (laughs) like a dandelion in the summer breeze. They saw the whole thing go away last year. That different mentality these young players bring is going to be helpful, I believe, this year. Woodruff was great on Saturday. Lauer pretty good on Sunday, a bit uneven in spring. I want to say his ERA was 12 in spring, so maybe more than a bit uneven, John. A bit crooked. But he gave up a run early, got out of that with a double play, looked like it could have been a lot worse, goes five and two-thirds, only gives up two runs. He gets the win, and Gus Varland locked it down in that last inning. He's an interesting guy, too. He is a Rule 5 draft pick, so to stay on the Brewer team, he has to be on the Major League Club. If he goes down to the minor leagues, they have to offer him back to the Dodgers. That's where they got him from in that Rule 5 draft. He was tremendous in spring, earned his roster spot, and he made a couple of appearances over the weekend, two scoreless innings. Not a save situation on Sunday in a four-run game, but he got it done. He's got high velocity, great movement, and he does have a perfect closer name, doesn't he? Gus Varland. As soon as I heard that when they drafted him in the Rule 5 draft, I thought, man, does that sound great for a relief pitcher. More like Gas Varland, am I right? Gus Varland just sounds like a closer. And hopefully he pans out for the remainder of the year and puts together a solid season because there are question marks there. In front of Devin Williams, there are question marks about who are going to be the setup guys. You saw them use a lot of different guys over the weekend. Gus Varland had a couple of scoreless innings over the weekend. You do like to see that. Brewers are 2-1. The home opener today, not a bad home opener. It's going to be what 52 53 degrees and cloudy certainly it has been a whole lot worse in Milwaukee that's about an 8 out of 10 if you're going to measure that or rank that on traditional opening days in Milwaukee and it's a tough one the Mets are in town Mets are a pennant contender despite the Verlander injury they picked up Verlander in the offseason he's out for at least a month I believe to begin the year They've got Freddy Peralta. Brewers have Freddy Peralta on the hill today taking on Carlos Carrasco, a 110 first pitch. Mets have Scherzer on the hill tomorrow night, and it wraps up Wednesday afternoon. Then the Cardinals are in town, and then immediately a three-city, nine-game West Coast swing. It's a tough April. It is a difficult April schedule for this Brewer team, but fun to see them get a couple of wins down at Wrigley over the weekend and get their season off to a good start. Moving over to the Bucks. <sighs> <laughs> Just a little sigh of relief. I don't know that I doubted this team, and we discussed this on Friday's pod after the debacle that was the 140-99 to loss at the hands of the Celtics. Just a, a complete obliteration. I know we said on Friday's pod, I'm not saying that the Bucs can't win the title, and I'm not saying I don't think the Bucs can beat the Celtics in a seven-game series, but it was concerning. It was concerning the energy they brought, and we talked about the scheduling stuff, but it was a concerning game on Thursday for that reason— Looking to this weekend, you thought, okay, Sixers are five to reform. You have a couple of days off. Bucks blew one against the Sixers at home. The last time they played them, that ended whatever it was, the 16-game winning streak. It's time to make a statement. It's time to get a win against a quality team, and they did that on Sunday. And that was becoming a narrative on the national media side of things because it has been in the second half. You think back to some of the premier matchups the Bucks have had, especially in primetime on the weekend at Golden State, blew that one with a late lead against Philly at home with the winning streak blew that one with a massive lead entering the fourth quarter what was the other one in there obviously the Celtics game was a mess there's one more game I'm forgetting where they were on prime time and just couldn't quite get it done but that storyline was developing of well the Bucks have a lot of wins but are they against bad teams how are they faring against the best teams in the league and if you've watched the team the whole year like I have and many of you have you know they've beaten good teams but the last month has not been kind to them against quality opponents and especially on national TV when all the eyes are on them. For that reason, for both of those reasons, you wanted to get the win on Sunday and you kind of needed to get the win after the Celtics won on Friday against the Jazz. If the Bucs would have lost last night, then the margin for error, if you assume the Celtics are going to win out, and they probably won't, but you have to assume that, if you assume the Celtics are going to win out, If they would have lost last night, the margin for error is down to zero to get that number one seed in the East and ultimately the number one seed in the NBA. Giannis had a fabulous game again, 33 points, 14 rebounds on 13 of 17 shooting. He outplayed – who am I thinking of? (laughs) What's the guy's name? Joel Embiid. There there it is. Who's that other guy who's in the MVP running? He outplayed him on every level. Giannis had three blocks. It's just – we've talked about this – We talked about it a few weeks ago when it became clear that Jokic and Embiid were really the frontrunners for the MVP. I just don't understand how Giannis is going to finish a distant third in this. When you watch last night's game and the way Giannis dominated when he was in there, and he even had foul trouble. He only played 31 minutes. He had some foul trouble in the third quarter. When you watch the impact that Giannis had on that game and the impact that Embiid had on that game, and I get it. It's one game. It's a a microcosm of a very long year. It's a microscope on one game of a very long year, but... (laughs) How is how is Giannis so far detached from this conversation of who is going to win the MVP? I don't get it. When you watch a game like last night – you at least have to have him on the level as Embiid. And if you have eyes and a brain, you have to have him above Embiid. But every Bucs fan knows how this is going to go. Either Embiid or Jokic is going to win or Jokic is going to win the MVP. The other one will finish second and Giannis is going to finish third. That's just the way it's going to go. There was some debate on Twitter among the blue check mark NBA national writers that noticed what we're talking about right now, how good Giannis looked against Embiid and how Giannis really took control of that game anytime he was on the floor. And they were saying, well, wait a minute here, guys. <laughs> wait a minute. Should we be should we be dismissing Giannis this way when we just watched what we just watched in this game? A few of them were saying that, but not enough to change the storyline nationally, especially this late in the year. I would be shocked. I would be pleasantly shocked if Giannis won it. I would be shocked if he finished first or even second in the MVP voting, the way things have been going and the way things have been talked about this year. It's just hard to fathom. It's just one of those NBA things. It's just, There's fatigue. It's just fatigue with Giannis being as good as he is, and for that reason, because he's so good night in, night out, for that reason, he's just not talked about enough because people are tired of talking about how great he is. I'm not. I could do it for hours. How long is – what are we in now, minute 18? I could do it all day. I could do this all day. But I think nationally you run into that in the NBA with the great players. It happened with Jordan. It happened with LeBron after some time where, okay, we get it. This guy is one of the best players on the planet or the best player on the planet, and people just get tired talking about that. I was even listening to the Bill Simmons podcast whenever day it was, Thursday or Friday, and they were talking about the MVP, and the guest that he had on legitimately said this sentence. He said, and I'm not paraphrasing, he said, Giannis is the best player on the planet. And in the next breath, he said that Embiid was going to be his MVP vote. What? But What? How? Why? What? What sense does that make to say those two sentences in that order? Giannis is the best player on the planet, and Joel Embiid is going to get my vote for MVP. In what world does that make sense? They're like, I still understand how that happens. I don't have an MVP vote, as you know. They don't care if Strange Brew isn't big enough yet to get an MVP vote. If we ever get an MVP vote on this podcast, then we will have made it. And I'll vote for Giannis every year, even when he's out of the league. That's probably about the time we would get one on this podcast. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense to me. Bucks get a crucial win, though. They're 56-22. and 22. They've got the two-game lead, as we talked about, because they now don't have the tiebreaker with Boston. It is really a one-game lead. They are off tonight. They are in Washington on Tuesday. Washington was just eliminated from the playoffs Who knows what kind of roster they're going to throw out on Tuesday. They just beat the Celtics last week by 19 points with a backup roster. Can't take anything lightly. And now Boston is in Philly on Tuesday. Tuesday could be a pivot point, could be a huge night. If the Bucs can win in Washington, and now we're Sixers fans, if Philly can beat Boston in Philly, that magic number is down to, what, one with three games left, and you feeling, you're feeling you starting to feel really good again, the way we were before that Celtics game last Thursday. You could be back in that space if everything breaks your way on Tuesday. But that's next up, and a back-to-back with the Bulls, who are playing really good. I don't know that the Bulls concern me in a first-round matchup. It's looking like that could be the first-round matchup again, like it was last year, Bucks and Bulls. Bulls are frisky, though. They've been playing a lot better in the last month or so. They've been one of the best teams record-wise in the league in the last three weeks. They've been playing really good defense. That's kind of their trademark. It has to be because beyond DeRozan and Levine, Levine, they don't have a whole lot of scoring options. But that could be a potential first-round matchup. That's on Wednesday. And then you've got Memphis on Friday. Not sure what they're going to be playing for. Probably not a whole lot. They might be resting guys before they wrap up the year in Toronto on Sunday. But when we come back on Friday... It's possible we could have that magic number down to one or two, or it's possible mathematically they could have the one seed clinched by the time we have the Friday pot up. All right, we'll wrap up today on college basketball. What a weekend. The Women's National Championship game, it's going to be a record-setting day for them. A weird tip time. Have they been doing that a lot? I'd have to go back and look at the start times for the Women's National Title game. A 2.30 tip time national TV on a Sunday afternoon. And then tonight, the men's broadcast is not going to start until probably 8.30. And if you're on the East Coast, I could never live on the East Coast. The national championship games tonight, when is the actual tip time? Maybe they changed it. No, it's 8.20 central time. If you live on the East Coast and you're a diehard college basketball fan or a UConn or San Diego State fan or you've got a future bet on one of those two teams – You're not going to start that game until almost 9.30? That is nuts. I don't understand the timing on either of those, really. But that national championship game on the women's side was so entertaining. The refs took it over. That was unfortunate. That was a big part of the conversation. LSU and Iowa, they will – I don't know if the ratings have come out yet, but they will have record ratings for that game. The Iowa-South Carolina Final Four game drew 5.5 million viewers, and a lot of that has to do with South Carolina being unbeaten, but also Caitlin Clark is such an entertaining player for Iowa. She's a junior – She averages 28 points a game. She's got Steph Curry range. and that national title game yesterday, especially in the first half, you saw her pulling up from the logo. Those are Steph Curry range shots, and she is drilling them because she is so entertaining. That has garnered a lot of eyes on the women's tournament, the women's Final Four, and the title game yesterday afternoon. Now, if you watched the game, it was a great game. LSU could not miss. They just couldn't miss. We turned the game on in the second quarter. Honest to God, I think I saw LSU miss five shots. They made everything. And Caitlin Clark tried to keep her team in it. She was in foul trouble. That was a disappointing part of the afternoon. When you know you've got a record number of eyes on that game you just don't want a ref show, and that's what ended up happening. Caitlin Clark had three fouls in the third quarter and then she threw the ball behind her back going into a timeout and they called a technical on her, which is her fourth foul. That forced her to the bench. You just can't do that. You cannot in a game of that magnitude, not just for this season, but for the women's college basketball universe for the whole sport. With all of the eyes they had on that game on Sunday, you simply cannot call that kind of a foul against Caitlin Clark. I'm not saying you can't call fouls on star players for both Iowa or LSU, but when that ball came to Caitlin Clark and she just tossed it casually behind her back heading into a timeout, okay, this gets into the letter of the law stuff we talked about a few weeks ago. Technically, could you call a foul, a technical foul there? Yes. But in that moment, are you kidding me? In the national title game on the best player on the floor – you're going to force her to the bench on that ridiculous. You just can't have that kind of a ref show. It didn't cost Iowa or didn't cost Iowa the game. LSU, like we just said, they were making shots at an elite level. They scored 102 points. You don't see that in the men's game in national title games. The final score was 102-85. I'd have to go back and look at the history of women's national champion games. I can't imagine there's too many games where somebody scored 85 points and lost that game by 17. That's how good LSU was. Then the conversation at the end of it went so crazy. If you watch the end of the game, Caitlin Clark for Iowa, she has been doing throughout the tournament, maybe the whole year, I have no idea. But throughout the tournament, after she has made big shots, she's been doing the John Cena, you can't see me, that kind of trash talk. Well, at the end of the game on Sunday, the star player for LSU, what is her name again? Angel Reese. And she's great too. And she was in foul trouble again (laughs) You want to see people are tuning in. They want to see Angel Reese and Caitlin Clark on the floor, and they both were in foul trouble. You can't have it. But at the end of that game, when it was clear LSU had won, Angel Reese went up towards Cl- Caitlin Clark and did that, did the you can't see me, and then she was pointing at her ring fingers saying we just won a ring, we just won the national championship, and she did follow Caitlin Clark around a bit. In the highlights I've seen of Caitlin Clark doing that, she does a quick one and then kind of goes to her sideline or whatever. Angel Reese sort of did stalk Caitlin Clark there for about 10 seconds doing the you can't see me and then pointing to her finger before she walked off. And she defended herself at the end of the game. They asked her about that on the ESPN broadcast. But when that happened... Twitter just about had a meltdown. You would have thought there was a societal collapse. This was a Simpsons, will somebody please think of the children? Oh, won't somebody please think of the children? Everybody was calling her. Hashtag classless was trending. Poor sportsmanship. Maybe you can certainly argue that. I just thought the reaction was so overblown. What are we talking about? We're talking about a John Cena wrestling reference in a sports game. Trust me when I say it's not that big of a deal. If you want to call her a poor sport, fine. But I would also argue that Caitlin Clark, who had been doing that motion, which I don't have any problem with. I like that. I like a little trash talk. I like a little edginess when I'm watching any kind of game, baseball, basketball, football, whatever. She had been doing that all tournament. And if you watch sports or you've been a part of a team or you call games – You know if you've been doing a signature piece of trash talk, it's like the Aaron Rodgers title belt. You better believe if somebody sacks you in a big moment, that linebacker or that defensive lineman is going to use your celebration against you. That's what happened. Did Angel Reese take it a little bit too far by following her around? Probably, but it doesn't need to be a meltdown about this. It's just, it's trash-talking D1 Sports, and it's just not a big deal. To me, it was a nothing burger, but we talked about it on the air this morning. We got a several texts in that talked about it being classless. What was the other word that was used? Hold on. I've got it up right here. Tacky. That was another text. It said tacky, very tacky, I guess, but it's it's not that big of a deal, and it was a great game. I'll be curious to see what the numbers are for them for their ratings on Sunday afternoon, and then the national championship game on the men's side is tonight. UConn moved on, we had it right, UConn moved on, and San Diego State moved on, and Florida Atlantic covered. It was a nice night for your boy. Florida Atlantic covered plus three, UConn won outright. We got a winning, game-winning shot call by Jim Nance. I did not realize it's Jim Nance's final year, calling the Final Four. I didn't know that. And they gave him a standing ovation, rightfully so. He's been the voice of so many of these big games over the course of how many years now? 20-plus years? Before the San Diego State-Florida-Atlanta game, the first of the two games on Saturday, he got a standing ovation from the crowd. And I think it's pretty poetic and pretty apropos that he gets to call a game winner like this one right here as a part of his final, final four. What a call. Davis, with drive to shoot, taken on, and it's blocked. Pulled out by Mensah. They have the one timeout. Are they going to take it or not? They don't have the scores on the floor. It's Butler with two seconds. He's got to put it up. And he wins it. He wins it with the jumper. My favorite part of that call is not just the Nance silky smooth call, and he is French silk wrapped in peanut butter. His voice is just one of the best. I love the Bill Rafferty, just the scream, the Larry McCarron, ah! That scream when that shot went in. I just thought very deserving that that ended, that one of those games ended that way on the final, final four for Jim Nance. I wonder who Jim Nance is going to give his tie to. Remember when that story came out? Jim Nance has been able to dodge a lot of stuff behind the scenes. Not that he's a bad guy, but he just, you don't hear a lot about his personal life, which has had some trials and tribulations. Whose hasn't, you know? But there was that two stories that came out. Maybe it was in 2018 or 2017 He had this story come out about him that he likes his toast burned when he goes and gets breakfast at whatever spot he goes to. And he actually carries a card in his wallet that shows how burned he wants it. Because he said when he asked for burned toast, people don't realize he really wants that thing charred. That was kind of a weird thing, that you carry a picture of burned toast in your wallet to give to the waiter or waitress to tell them how you want your toast done. The other weird thing that same week or that same month that came out was that he gives his necktie at the end of the national championship game. He picks a player that he felt was an integral part or the MVP of the game or whatever, and he gives them his necktie. It's just a couple weird things. Not crazy. It's a couple weird things. I wonder who he'll give his tie to tonight. It is UConn and San Diego State. Just based on the way UConn has been playing – I mean, they've just been killing people. This is the team, when they were ranked number one earlier in the year, this is the team that people thought that we were going to see night in, night out from UConn. It is stunning when you see them play this well at their peak that Marquette was able to beat them two out of three times. And Marquette's a really good team. That's not a knock against Marquette. But when those teams match up three times, they got two wins against them? Incredible. Shaka Smart, AP National Coach of the Year, by the way. You've got to take UConn, don't you? They are minus seven. That's a large nut to crack at the championship level. And San Diego State is appears to be very good at staying in games. Their defense is up there, top tier in the country. Maybe that allows them to hang on. I just don't think they have the shot makers at the end of the day to hang with UConn. If UConn continues to play the way they have now, it's college basketball. And this is a part of it. We talked about this a few weeks ago. A part of the entertainment factor of college hoops is things drop off quickly mistakes are made, mental breakdowns at the highest level. But if UConn is able to play the way they've been playing in this tournament, I think they win by 10, 10-plus 10 tonight. We'll see. An eight twenty tip time for the national championship game tonight. When we come back on Friday, like we said, we're going to have a pretty clear picture, hopefully, of what the Buck situation looks like for the one seed. We'll be able to recap the series against the Mets for the Brewers. Do they start with the Cardinals on Thursday? They have, I think they have a day off. Let's just click on the schedule here. This is always good radio to do this live. Is it a three-game? Yeah, it's a three-gamer. So we'll recap the Mets-Brewer series. Get set for a big early season series against the Cardinals. That'll begin on Friday at AmFam Field. We'll work on that as well on Friday morning. Have a good work week, everybody. We'll chat with you then.